This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 82. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm honored to have a return guest to the podcast. He's the founder and CEO of Student Loan Planner, and he's one of the nation's leading student loan experts. Please welcome Travis Hornsby. Hi, Travis. Hey, Julie. Great to be on the show. I'm so happy to have you back. It was about a year ago that you were here with me. I I looked up the episode and I was um, surprised but excited that it had been a year and that you were um, willing to come back on the podcast and talk to me today. So I'm really grateful to have you here. Sure. Everybody was wondering how long the economy was going to stay on fire, right? And we oh, have a little boy. bit of a different question now. Exactly. Yeah. So much has changed in that in just a short period of time. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about uh, change is it's, it's if you can react to it, if you can handle it, if you can survive it, uh, then you know you're going to be so so much better off long term. You're going to get through this. Your finances are going to get through this. But there are definitely some actionable things people can do. Right. And this podcast, as you know, is all about how to handle the stress that comes along with all the things that happen in our lives. And right now, things are so stressful. So it, it's a really good time to have you on, so you can calm everyone down about their uh, debt. I will say one thing is uh, who would have thought that veterinarians would be in so much better shape compared to dentists. Um, right. So like one thing that I saw is with the, with the shutdowns, we saw people just not getting dental care at all. I mean, you know, opto- you know, optometrists had this similar impact where like their income, they're basically like 60% of their jobs went away and, wow. you know, they were gone for a while. They're starting to come back slowly now. Um, but you know, veterinary care, yeah, it was definitely impacted. Like our veterinarians and our surveys that we did, like definitely had an impact on their incomes. Sure. But not a ton of them completely lost their jobs. People no, seem seem like they could adapt. Yeah. Well, we stayed working the whole time. We just had to change the way we do it, which in our case, compared to the dentist, is fortunate because we don't need the humans inside the building to do what we do. It, it's a little bit stressful for us and for the the clients. But it definitely allowed us to continue to work. And, and we still didn't do well for a while, but we're getting to the point where we're almost back to normal, even though we're still keeping the clients out of the building. Well, and, and one thing is great. Um, in like 10 to 15 years from now, you guys are going to have insane levels of revenue from all of these old uh, puppies, you know, that are, you know, going to be going to be old senior citizens, you know, in a decade. Yep. That's absolutely uh, true. We're seeing tons of new puppies because of uh, people being home. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming kind of like the largest, I mean, I, this shows my ignorance, but, you know, is the largest amount of potential kind of revenue from a patient going to be kind of in that last few years of life? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. When they get older, they obviously have more problems. They need more medications, you know, so all those things, more visits to the veterinary hospital. That's yeah. absolutely true. The, the most visits are when they're puppies, which is right now, and then when they're older. So probably in the next 10 to 15 years, um, it's yeah. going to help with our well, business for sure. Yeah, it's it's nice that it kind of reinforces just the value of veterinary care and the, and the importance that it has uh, for the population, you know. Um, and also with all the kind of mental health struggles that people have been going through during this pandemic, I think a lot of people are turning to pets uh, as a relief, you know, an anxiety reliever and as a stress reliever from this. Yes. Um, so, so I mean, I'm, I'm glad that at least veterinarians are okay financially compared to some other occupations out there. We're seeing stuff that we just never would have ever anticipated. So a lot of, for example, surger, surgeons um, are down way, way down in their incomes, losing their jobs in some cases, actually like a kind of a personal story. My wife is a physician. She's losing her job because of this. Really? Yeah. yeah because so because they can't see any patients because of COVID. Well, it's not just that it's just like, uh, hospitals and private practices and all these groups are financially really in the hole. And, oh, uh, wow. you know, especially big hospital systems, kind of the solution yeah. to fixing yeah. something is just let's ax people without right. thinking about wait, yeah. what, what happens if it gets better, you know, we, we need revenue again. Oh, um, boy. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, 
it is what it is. So, I mean, at the same time, like I said, so just like I know that there's a lot of people going through a lot, definitely not to minimize anything happening with veterinarians at all. But thank goodness that you're a veterinarian and not a copy repair technician. You know, I heard right, some right. podcast about somebody who's a copy repair technician and they're like, yep, uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to have a job again in my entire life now, <laughs> you know, because yeah. people aren't copying anything in an office setting. <laughs> Right, you know? right. And my, and my, both of my kids are artists and the artists are completely out of work. Oh, Anybody yeah. that bands. performs live, yeah. Any live performers, they are all out of work. And that, that's been very difficult for for them to, you know, what is the rest of their career going to look like? Yeah. And so, you know, veterinarians listen to this probably thinking, well, okay, fine. Like I get it that I'm I'm doing okay compared to some other people, but that doesn't really help me put food on the table. So what? Well, and know. right now it, just for your information at, from the veterinary side of it, it, even though we're still working, it's a whole different ball game. It's much more physical. Um, it's much more demanding. Our phones are tied up constantly because we're constantly on the phone. The mm. days are much longer. You know, people for a while were out of work. So they were, you know, looking at their pets much more and noticing things. And I think uh, that caused us to get busier. Makes sense. Much- from a financial standpoint is great. We're definitely doing better financially on some level, but it's also physically and emotionally hard. So, you know, all the all of the things that we're going to talk about today will hopefully help relieve some of the financial stress. And then, you know, in turn, that might take some of the pressure off of us, um, you know, from these long work days. So I'm really happy to have you here and and talk about all this with us and give us some tips on how to figure all this money stuff out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, what do you think listeners want to know about first? Well, I, I think maybe I know that there's been some changes. Last um, last year in June is when we talked and you told us about all the um, you know possibilities for people with repaying their student loans and consolidating and things. So what has changed? What's what's the difference from 2019 to the to this year? Well, so the change is we've got a presidential election and we have clarity on who those people uh, that are running are, right? So you have Trump versus Biden. Um, and now so, Kanye. And, and now Kanye, yeah. So I, I, Kanye. I, I will admit I will admit that I have not done a lot of research on Kanye's student loan plan, but I'm sure he has one. Maybe <laughs> sure. it's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, I don't know. I was just going to try to say something clever, and you know, but <laughs> I know but, there's you know, not much to say, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, yeah. So, so you know, anyways, so, so you have these major presidential plans, and uh, and so Trump's plan would cost people a lot more money if it passed long term because it's the idea that, well, you know, current forgiveness terms are too generous, so we're going to move it to a thirty year plan, make it twelve and a half percent of your income instead of ten percent for twenty years. So that would certainly impact veterinarians negatively. Um, the good news is, you know, he's never talked about making this apply to people that are uh, currently working towards any kind of payment plan. So this would only apply to people who basically are your pre, pre-vet students that have not taken out debt yet for vet school. Okay. Um, but the thing is, is, you know, honestly, Trump's sort of a candidate of the status quo in many ways, because Trump's not going to really probably do anything about student loans because he had the opportunity to in 2017 with a unified Republican House and Senate and did nothing. So um, his he sort of you know, just on the status quo, which is, to be honest, it's like, if you have the choice between status quo and something worse, like, you know, the fact that they've maintained the status quo is probably a really good thing for most veterinarians. Right. We certainly Um, don't want it to get worse. Right. And so, but, you know, and so there's a situation with Biden where theoretically the payments could get better. Um, What I mean by that is like, he's talked about allowing people to pay 5% of their incomes instead of 10 um, with, uh, basically with no tax bomb. So that would be super exciting if something like that were to pass. Cause like most people's payments would go down, uh, radically. Like we're talking like you would, ha- you would pay 75% less than what you're paying right now. Um, if you had the Biden plan pass, if you're going for forgiveness. So the way that kind of works. So think about how you have to pay 10% of your income, right? Well, if you pay 5% of your income, then that just cuts your payments literally in half every month. Sure. Right. And then yeah. most most veterinarians have the biggest chunk of change hit them with their loans at the end of the 20 years when they have to pay the taxes on the forgiveness. So if Biden were to eliminate that, that's another big load off. So the combined effect of like having the payments and eliminating the tax bomb 
is kind of like saying you're going to pay 25% of what you were going to pay instead of 100% of whatever the pay as you were in plan would be. Sure. So and that you're would, saying yeah. this, this would happen for, for new loans, not necessarily the people that are in it now. We also, it's actually kind of like not the case that it would not happen for new loans because if you kind of look at the history, the stuff that when they really make it worse, it only applies to uh, new loans. Whenever they make it better, you can make it apply to your loans. Okay. So that's kind of the, the upside that historically when they made a new loan program, you've had to switch to it. They don't right. do it automatically for you. Um, Biden right. might try to make it happen automatically. But the thing that, that I'm concerned about just from like a kind of a practitioner's perspective is um, Biden's student loan plan is wildly expensive. Like in some ways it's kind of like more expensive than Bernie's plan um, sure. because it has all of these things in it. And like they come up with a cost estimate that's like 750 billion. And so we did some analysis with student loan planner to figure out, well, what, what would this potentially really cost? And so we came up with a number that was almost 3 trillion. So, right. so and whenever you have that money come from, that's what right. that's well, yeah. the thing people don't think about is, okay, well, yeah, it sounds great. Let's lower everybody's payback, but then that money has to come from somewhere. Right. And, and it's like, and this is different from saying like what policy should be like, this right. is kind of like you're, you're doing an analysis to say like, well, what do you think will happen and why? Yes. And it's kind of like, well, one of the reasons why like ACA was like including all these private insurers and, and they did it the way they did it was because politically they had to get the support of all of these disparate groups to get it through. And so obviously if you had done Medicare for all, the insurance companies would have all opposed it. That would have been, you know, even more difficult to pass anything. Sure. Um, and then also the price tag would have been way higher and then they would have had to raise taxes a lot more. And obviously the 2010 elections, you know, they paid a big political price for that. So it's kind of like, you know, what's going to happen and why? Well, so Biden says he wants to pay for his new student loan plan with repealing the excess business losses tax. So this is a uh, this is a tax that, you know, people are like railing against, um, you know, for reasonable reasons. Like they're just saying it's basically going all to the top. 1% of the top 1%, basically. It's like people right. that have all these excess losses can now deduct those losses like even more aggressively. Well, sure. if they repealed that tax, the people have already, like the people with the giant losses that are allowed to take accelerated losses, like they've already taken all of those extra losses. Do you know what I mean? So like right. say, say you repeal that tax, well, like the effect on future revenue would probably be pretty small because the people that have already you know, had a lot of losses to benefit from it, have already realized those to benefit from the tax cut. Right. You know, like you kind of, you accelerate, especially if something's going to get repealed, you realize that with your tax planner and then you like acceleratedly take advantage of that tax cut before you lose all those losses. Mm -hmm. So, so like, so the idea that he's going to get 750 billion out of repealing that excess business losses tax cut, that's so fanciful. You know, there's right. no, there's no way that he would get true. that kind of, well, there's no way he would get that kind of money out of that. And sure. so, um, so then, you know, what do you, what do you do? Because the revenue generator side of things was not realistic. The cost is not realistic. So does that mean that it's realistic? Like Biden's student loan plan in general, do, do we think it's realistic? So the, the part that I think is realistic is I, I think that what he might end up doing is maybe making 5% of your income a thing for like undergrads. So I think he might target it for people with undergrad degree, you know, undergrad debt only allow them to pay 5%. I think he might forgive the, um, I, I think he might forgive the, forget the taxes on the forgiven debt because you probably won't have to account for that in the budget when he does it, like because of the weird rules of budget, they only require you to forecast like 10 years out. Right. So since a lot of this stuff is happening in like 10 to 20 years, you could probably eliminate that tax bomb without having a big kind of budget hit that you have to model. And with, uh, so that's realistic. That could happen, I think. And then the, uh, the other thing he wants to do is like, you know, free public college, expand Pell Grants. So I think he might kind of just like combine all of that and maybe like maybe increase funding for HBCUs and expand Pell Grants and then like probably not do free public college just because free public college in our estimation would cost around like a trillion dollars over right. 10 years. And, uh, and so I just think that, you know, he might end up just going after targeting like the most needy students increasing their aid a lot, which you actually saw the House Democrats do with the HEROES Act, which is something that, you know, they tried to pass to you know, basically a CARES Act 2.0 kind of thing. And um, and they were proposing 10,000 of student loan cancellation for everybody. 
uh, like literally everyone. And then they ran the cost of it and they saw it was going to cost like $300 billion or something like that. And uh, they were like, whoa, that's more than we want <laughs> to, to put towards student loans. Like in the grand scheme of things, we want to put some of that towards other things. So right. they narrowed, so they narrowed it a whole bunch and said, we're only going to give that to just people that are, you know, struggling and default, that kind of thing. So I guess for your, for your veterinarians out there, like the thing that I would let you know is it's probably, you know, 2020 election, pay attention. Trump wins probably status quo, which is totally fine. Like in terms of, you know, somebody's finances, that's, that's kind of honestly a, not a terrible thing if they don't have it become worse, you know? Right. And, exactly. and then, sometimes and then the, you don't know it could get a lot worse. <laughs> right. In terms of your payments, you know, with the upside, with the Biden plan, you could be paying, you know, potentially you could be paying half of what you're paying now. Probably not. Probably you'll just get that tax relief for the forgiveness for the tax bomb eventually. And the the cool thing about that is, uh, well, then you would know for sure that your debt is a tax because a lot of people don't understand it when I say your your vet school debt is a tax because right. you take a percentage of your income for the payment and then a percentage of your income needs to go into index funds. So sure. besides you know, the taxes that you're already paying, correct. So the the payment for the for the loans that I mean that's easy to understand. It's really the tax bomb that confuses people a lot. Because people don't really connect putting a specific percentage of their income away to having a specific amount of money at the end of 20 years to pay a tax bomb with. That's kind right. of a hard concept for somebody that's not a finance person to really kind of, you know, be you know, intuitively understand, right? Be aware of, right? Yeah. So if you eliminate that tax bomb, well, then it's just super obvious that student debt is a tax. And then if that ever happened with no limits on the forgiven uh, amounts of debt, uh, with no taxation on the forgiven amounts of debt, well, then... Julie, I think that unfortunately, there's no reason why you would go to, you know, what's it like, what's a super cheap vet school? Like I was, you know, one of the ones in Iowa or something like that. You know, there's no reason why you would go to that one in state when you could go to Penn and like hang out in Philly for four years. And yeah, it's going to cost 500 grand, but it's going to be 10% of your income anyway. So, uh, so why not go to the more, you know, you know, well, why not go to California, right? Why not go yeah, to the, that's not, the that's Davis not one? Actually the best thing is that if everybody's like, well, I don't have to pay this back anyway, so I might as well just take out more loan. Well, that's that, what happened. That's a little scary of a, a mentality, right? It is, but that's, but, and, and that's obviously a bad thing for, you know, because like the veterinarian taxpayer is also paying for this too. Like, it's not like, you know, sure. like yeah, veterinarians pay owners and, and right. Well, and yeah. Like, yeah. Like veterinarians pay taxes and like, sure, absolutely. so, so, so you are a, you're both a student loan borrower and a taxpayer. So like something can be good for you as a student loan borrower and bad for you as a taxpayer, you know, absolutely. kind of yeah. simultaneously. So yeah, I know that as a business owner, I owned my own business for years and there's a lot of taxes involved that oh, yeah. don't they don't really know. You know, if, if you it's don't own a tough. business, you have no idea. Yeah, it's stressful. And, you know, sometimes too, business owners kind of get the, the tax bracket surprise where, you know, you'll you'll pop into You'll have a really good year and you'll pop into like the 32 percent bracket when you used to be in the 24 percent bracket. Sure. And, uh, you know, and then suddenly you're paying, you know, an extra eight percent and all that extra profit that you were getting. And you thought that you could go out and spend some of it on a house or, you know, on a, a fancy trip or something. And then you get the surprise at the end of the year. So, I mean. You know, I think that the, the the stuff that could happen, you know, with uh, with loans is 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 significant. the The good news, though, is the is the base math of your student loans are either a payment where you're paying them off with a fixed monthly payment because you know you are one of these people that went to an in-state vet school that has a lot of, you know, has has not that much debt compared to your income. We used to say, here's something that has changed. So we used to say that somebody needed to have a debt-to-income ratio better than 1.5 to 1 to refinance. So okay. what that what that means is I'm making 150000 as a business owner, let's say, um, and, uh, and so 1.5 times that, that would be the debt amount that you would need to have less than to refinance. So I used kind of a complicated number there, oops, <laughs> but that's 225000 <laughs> of student loan debt. So if you were Making 150, if you have less than 225 of student loan debt, you should refinance. If you're making 100,000, if you have less than 150,000 of student loan debt, you should probably refinance. So okay. that's that's what we used to say. Um, what the problem is is with the idea that the the tax bomb could go away, and you've got all of these sort of long term trends in American politics that are trending towards more of a progressive sort of more government involved um, 
supported system, like that's kind of taking away some of the benefits and the attractiveness of refinancing. You know, even thinking about what happened with loans during this crisis, they suspended interest and payments, zero interest for six months. So that didn't happen with private loans because they weren't able to amend all those contracts in a hurry. So, you know, if you think about the potential for future benefit for federal loans, um, there's definitely uh, like some extra benefits to kind of leaving them alone and leaving them on the federal system. So we used to say 1.5. Now I'm kind of telling people one to one, do you owe less than your, uh, your income? Basically, okay. do you, do you owe less than your income? If you do, you should be refinancing, but if you don't, you should at least be cautious because, you know, again, they could, if they pass a, uh, if they pass that Biden plan that I was talking about, you, you know, you would, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars, anyone with more than 60,000 of student loan debt would want to go for forgiveness. Wow. Yeah. But, that's I mean, a big change. Basically everybody would, you know? Sure. So yeah. under the status quo, it's kind of like 1.5 to one, that debt to income ratio. Maybe if you eliminate the tax bomb, it's probably one to one in terms of, of whether or not you should go for forgiveness or not. Um, and, and the thing is, too, you know, if you put a lot of money away into your retirement to lower your taxable income, you know, that's going to work out great. There's no there's no scenario where that doesn't work out fantastically well, because, again, these student loans, I mean, they're the most, um, you know, anxiety provoking debt that can be totally minimized I've ever seen. Well, and people, yeah, it's just they look at those huge numbers and they don't see any way out of it. And I think that's why, you know, mentally it's so difficult to get through rather than we have a tendency to think short term and not longer term. And so I think that's part of it, you know, is is you're talking this is going to take years to pay it off to the person looking at the number. They're seeing that immediate number and, and it's so it's so scary, you know, to have that kind of debt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you have more debt than most people's mortgage as a veterinarian, sure. right. Absolutely. And and, yep. and yet, and yet you owe it for a field that at the end of the day is not going to pay you, you know, 300,000 a year or something, you know, Absolutely. I mean, yep. this is not, this is not a, <laughs> You know, it's go in and field. yeah, you don't get to zap, you know, like my wife jokes with dermatologists, right? Like you, you don't get to go in and zap 40 patients for five minutes each and charge, you know, a, a, a amazing amount of money, you know, for yes. collections. I mean, right. you know, th- this is something where a lot of times you're talking to working class people, about whether or not they can afford a few hundred bucks to save their dog's life because the dog broke the leg, you know, and you've right. got to put down the dog because that's cheaper and that's what the person can afford. Versus something that you could totally fix, and that's just is super depressing, and just is not why you got into veterinary medicine in the first place. And so that takes just this huge burden. Like you know, sometimes I hear I talk to veterinarians, some of the ones say, "Gosh, you know, like these working class areas where they have the biggest kind of emotional stress. It's just because they have so many patients they could save, and they patients can't afford to do it, and they can't afford to pay for all the, you know, the costs of of, of saving these patients." Um, and so they have no choice, but to, but to euthanize in some cases. So, I mean, so, you know, I'm not going to pretend that that there's any kind of like easy solution to all this. I I will just say, you know, don't blame yourself. Here's a good, here's a good takeaway, I think, or here's a good idea. Don't blame yourself for things that are not under your control. So the student, like you wanted to become a vet, that was your decision. Yes. But to become a vet, you have to go get a DVM right at one of X number of schools and they charge X amount. And the reason they charge such a high amount is because of the federal student loan system, which has no regulation on the schools at all. Right. Right. Which is a place where that's where we should probably be concentrating in a lot of instances. Right. And, how, and, how do we get the cost of school down? Well, and that was a, that was an effort at it, right? There was the um, fix the debt summit that happened a few years ago with a bunch of stakeholders mm-hmm. meeting, I think at Michigan state discuss the cost of, of veterinary education. And I read the action steps uh, and the action steps from this conference. It's supposed to be like the one conference to rule them all to fix student loan debt, you know? And, um, and the, the, the action items were not, really that germane at all. Like it was, it was basically stuff that the administrators just said to say something and uh, you know, and, and, and so none of it involved 
hey, maybe we should cut the cost of veterinary education. Like it was they basically yeah. lip service just to, yeah, it was lip service. And, 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 yeah. the, and the stuff that they did say about like maybe more creative ways to get the DVM, maybe more creative ways to run the curriculum, like the creativity they did show was like, oh, maybe we should increase the number of like six year vet med programs, like combined with bachelor's programs, but the revenue is going to come out of the bachelor's program. You know, and I thought, well, how, how it ridiculous. doesn't even lower anything, right? Why? Well, I just, yeah. In other words, in other words, as long as you don't affect my finances, I don't give a, you know what? Right. right? Like well, they don't want to give up their cushy jobs because, well, it, yeah. I mean, and, level, yeah. It, that's going to have to change the way they run the vet schools. Well, there's this attitude amongst institutions in general that I am not allowed to lose money no matter what's happening with the economy. Right. That, that's kind of a really privileged, sort of elitist attitude about the way the world works. And frankly, it's kind of like, I think why my uh, wife is losing her job in medicine. It's kind of like oh, these institutions, so you know, they go and they build billion dollar buildings. They don't do any contingency planning. They don't put enough reserves away. No and emergency then, plan at all. Yeah. And then something, something and something bad happens. And then, you know, the solution is, well, instead of cutting our administrators that we don't need, we're just going to go raise tuition, you know? Or like the Zoom, the Zoom classes, right? Instead of, you know, instead of giving a discount for virtual services, which aren't the same quality as in-person instruction, we're just going to charge you the same and just know that, you know, yeah, we might get sued by a class action, but we have lawyers too, right. you know? And so I just have a little no downside to them. Well, I, I have a cynical view about universities. And, and the thing about cynicism is it can be very destructive if you let it permeate everything, you know, and, and it's one of those things where, yeah, you can't change it. Yeah, these schools are acting in their best interest, right? And so as a veterinarian, it's like you're in a system that is corrupted. And right. are you going to be the one to fix the corrupted system? No, you're not. So the best solution then is to keep your head down, get your degree. You know, remember why you got into vet med in the first place, graduate, get that degree, and then go live your best life. And what does that mean? Well, I can tell somebody that as a veterinarian that you can retire at 50 years old. How do you do yeah. that? You have to maximize your retirement accounts. You probably have to contribute at least a thousand a month into broke to like an index fund on top of that. And then, you know, if you really want to make sure that retirement age is 50, you probably want to figure out how to become a practice owner in some capacity, whether that's a partner or a single owner or something. In other words, right. don't be don't be an associate forever. So if you if you do those three things, I can say that probably almost 95% sure you will have the freedom to retire at 50. And sure. that is even that's if you have 500,000 of student loans. And uh, and it's not because you paid them off, it's because you treated them like a tax. And it's because you had a high savings rate. So most people think that you know they they are totally screwed and that's actually not the case. How many people do you know that can retire at age 50? Certainly not any working class people unless, you know, they were the, you know, two people left that have a pension, you know, somehow right, because they're right. in a union or something. So, you know, given that veterinarians still have that road open to them where they could be sipping Mai Tais on a beach somewhere at age 50 and they got to <laughs> practice, you know, hopefully a career field that at times is super rewarding, right? Overall, it's so much better than if they had to be that vet tech that has to take orders or if they had to be that person sitting at, you know, a desk, you know, at a uh, computer all day, which would right. be torture to me. <laughs> right. Oh, terrible. I mean, like, you know, talk about mental health. Like, yes, the veterinarian mental health issues in the field are a hundred percent real. Um, but I mean, honestly, perhaps one of the reasons why we don't see as high of a suicide rate in some of these office worker jobs is just because they don't have access to the same chemicals. Yeah, well, think- that's the truth. Yeah. That that's part of it, I think. And and really, I think there's been a big shift in our attitude about this profession is we have a tendency to focus on the the student loan and the size of them. We have a tendency to focus on the nasty client that leaves us a nasty review. You know, I think there's a lot of a lot of um, mental training that goes into it for ourselves in order to see the good things, like exactly like you're saying. Well, it's hard. Yeah. It's so hard because I can, I mean, I'm in, I'm in a service business. Like, you know, we do student loan planning for people. And, right. um, and so my experience is one nasty client will wipe out the positive afterglow of 10 really pleasant clients. Absolutely. Yeah. We have you a know? tendency to focus on that one. 
And it's kind of like, well, what I like to do is, is a sort of an ejection seat strategy for my business. So like whenever I find out that a client is toxic, uh, I essentially try to get them out of the business as fast as possible. Right. And sometimes that means uh, giving somebody a refund to go away. Um, sometimes it means just telling somebody like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't think we're going to be able to help you. We're not um, a good fit. Yeah. yeah, we're not a good fit. And, and the thing is, is it's just I've never almost never found that confrontation is the best way to, uh, you know, um, to, to, to solve something. I mean, like if somebody leaves you a negative review and it gives you the opportunity to respond, uh, you know, you can simply say something like, you know, I tried to re- tried to resolve it, did my best, um, you know, gave the client a refund. It's all I can do, you know, and, uh, and and at the same, you know, so so it's like you do that. And I get this. It's tough. But uh, but but just know, I guess, like two percent of people are just totally bat. You know what? Crazy. Right. Like <laughs> totally in every in everything, that, like at least yeah. like like two percent of people. So one in 50 people are just totally insane. Right. And uh, and you tell them something and they, they won't take advice. They won't listen. I mean, some patients are, are, you know, patient owners, right, are probably like this, where like you tell them something and they'll say something. it's just not rational at all. Right. And um, and you never know why that is. Maybe they're going through something in their personal lives. Maybe they're under a lot of stress. Maybe something is like they're having an episode or something. So you don't want to like jump to conclusions. But so what, whatever the reason is why they're having that crisis, like it's just the key is to say it is not worth the money that I'm going to get from this person to serve this person because of the craziness. And so how do I direct them elsewhere? Right. 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 And I, and I encourage veterinarians to do that because many times we think that if we let a client go or we fire a client, I call it firing a client, that that is a terrible, terrible thing. And we're going to lose all this money. But I argue that if we just turn them loose and let them go, it pays us back in spades because we can protect our mental health, but also protect our team and protect the clients that we do want to serve. So we're not spending time with these crazy people, as you say, or, you know, um, we're not spending our time with those people where we'll have more time to spend with the people that can actually pay their bills and be kind and, um, you know, not cause us so much stress. Well, you can even be be ready to do that. Yeah. You can even be strategic, right? Like, uh, what's, is it Banfield that has, you know, offices within PetSmart's is that the company yes. that does that? Yeah. yeah so, send them so you can just people. yeah, you can just say, hey, I actually got a great uh, practice for you. It's down there at the PetSmart. You know, you can go down there oh, and uh, they're they're great. They'll take good care of you. And you know, I mean, so right, right. Just send them, <laughs> so, send your problems somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And so might as well send them on the giant mega billion dollar corporation that can handle a lot of problems, <laughs> right? So uh, yeah. you know, I'm joking around, but but I mean, the the good news with loans is you know interest rates are still pretty low uh, with refinancing. So if you do need to refinance, you can do that. Like some people have private loans, for example. I am seeing people continuing to refinance their private student loans, which is is great. Because people are kind of start start at the beginning in this environment. I know I know a few things have changed with what's going on now um, through the government and the CARES Act and things like that. But tell me if you're somebody right now that's struggling with your student loans or you're not sure what to do. Tell me the steps. I know we talked Mm -hmm. about this before, but can you kind of briefly tell someone, you know, what to do if they're if they're worried? Yes, if you're really, really struggling right now, you have a, a, a zero dollar monthly payment with the CARES Act, so it's it's giving you zero interest, zero payments, unless you have private loans. If you have private loans, you can ask your private lender to give you forbearance, but the interest is going to continue to accrue. Okay. So, if somebody's struggling, what what that implies is they don't have enough money to feel safe and secure each month, right? Right. Like if someone's struggling, first off, do they have private loans? Yes or no? If they do then my goal is to get their private loan refinanced to as low of a payment as possible. So maybe that's a 20-year. So I would probably refinance their private loan to a 20-year to get the lowest payment I can. For the uh, for the federal loans, then the question is, is what do they have with that? Well, if they have federal loans, obviously paying a percentage of your income is, is the best way to pay. So what I'm going to evaluate is, does this person is this person married? If so, how do we file taxes in such a way that minimizes their student loan payment? Because that that's important. Because okay. the, the repay plan, revised pay as you earn, this is 10% of your income, but it always includes your spouse. 
And uh, the default recommendation, if you call your loan servicer, is always going to be the repay plan. That's what they always recommend because it's on their scripts. So okay. instead, you can choose a different plan, pay a lot less by filing separately for taxes. Also, some veterinarians in like Texas, California, Washington, Arizona, Louisiana, uh, I think Nevada, Idaho, and maybe like Washington, a couple other places, basically community property states. If you live in one of these states, most of them are in the West Coast. Uh, there's special rules that apply. And those special rules just enable you to pay a lot less than maybe somebody in New York um, because of tax filing rules. So, so, you know, in terms of that person being burdened, I want them to pay a low required payment on their private loans as possible. And I want to want them to pay as little on their federal loans as possible. And then I want to figure out, okay, why are you feeling stressed? It's not because of your student loans. It's usually not. You know, when someone's feeling stressed, there's usually something else going on. Maybe it's childcare, maybe it's their mortgage, maybe it's car payments, maybe it's credit card debt from uh, from school. So sure. there's there's all these other things, and so it's kind of like let's get the the loan stuff at least not you know not being a wildfire. Yeah, right. let's let's make it like embers instead of a wildfire. So now that loans are embers instead of a wildfire, what's going on elsewhere? So okay, okay, maybe. You need to go take your car down to uh, CarMax and, and do a trade-in, you know, a negative equity trade-in with a couple thousand down to get a lower get payment. Of that huge car payment, yeah. And, and it's not pleasant, but this is doable, and here's how you do it. Or maybe the problem is, okay, your house uh, payment is just too big, and so you maybe need to house hack. So maybe you need to, if you're single, maybe you need to have some of your rooms rented to, you know, other, other friends of yours. You know, I've seen right. a couple kind of funny slash weird Examples of sometimes veterinarians will need a lot of extra land for all of their animals, right? And uh, and so that's one of the real big expenses is you know real estate costs a lot of money, especially in certain parts of the country. Uh, and so they'll have you know plenty of space, but they have really frankly too much space for them as a human in the house. But they'll have they need it because of the land. And so then it's like a, you know sometimes people will kind of do sort of a strategic I call them strategic alliances where you'll have like two three veterinarians with horses all living in the same house. So they can all have enough land for their and for their they horse. They can all support the animals, right? So there's so there's strategic ways to to, to minimize the, the big expenses that are are really important to you for your for your happiness. You know, there's it's not to say that you shouldn't have that. It's just you have to have it in a smart way. So so maybe it's that, or maybe you don't have animals that need a big space, and maybe you're just overspending on housing. So we want to make sure that's cut back to something that's reasonable. Um, so that when you figure out that that stuff, now you have a structural plan for your finances where, you know, you're you're, you're not feeling super burdened anymore because you right. you've, you've, rid you've, of some of your debt. Well, you've just figured out income. some stuff. You just figured out your big expenses better, and so right. now and so now you have a little extra. And so should this extra go into your loans, or should it go into investments, or savings, or retirement, or where should it go? So first, we tell people get an emergency fund. So first, get up to six months expenses in the bank because that's going to prevent any of the credit card debt problems that happen for, for people. Right. So you get the emergency fund. Um, basically at the same time, you try to put a very small amount of money every month into retirement and to non-retirement uh, index funds. So basically for retirement, you just want to put in something like four or 5% of your income, just something pretty modest. And you also want to put away about 100 a month into index funds that's not retirement. And the reason for that is most veterinarians need to pay a tax bomb. That tax bomb money needs to come in on an account that's not retirement because of the fact that you're going to get hit with that burden before the age of 60. Retirement, you can't withdraw from until you're 60 without right. big penalties. And I would like to stress that point that you just made is, first of all, the emergency fund is so important because- when things go wrong, if you have a little money set aside, you you don't have stress because you have the money. So that is a big part of the financial plan is having that emergency fund. And then also when you're a young person and you're putting away a little bit of money into retirement and into these index funds as kind of your backup emergency fund, people don't realize how fast that can grow over time. It doesn't look like much if you're putting, you know, just a couple hundred bucks away every month in these index funds. But fast forward 10 to 20 years, you'll be shocked how much that can grow. And I think people are afraid to put money into the stock market, put money into these 
index mutual funds. And um, they don't realize at, when they're in their 20s or early 30s what that's going to look like when they're in their late 40s, early 50s. It, it's it's amazing. Well, yeah. And, and like if I told you that, you know, you're going to put some money to work in the uh, the stock market back in uh, October 2007, right before the, the housing crash, you would have probably told me that's a terrible idea. Right sure, yeah. to put it's, to put money it's, right it's right before terrible. the well right 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 before the market crash and and so the Dow Jones that's like one of the you know the things they quote in the news every night so right. that uh, that that Dow Jones was at around thirteen thousand okay and today it's at twenty six thousand as we record this so it's right. it's dub it's doubled and in addition to that you got a bunch of dividends you know two three percent of what you invested also along the way so the actual amount of money if you reinvested those dividends is even higher than double your money. And sure. you know what was the the downside? The downside was well your your money went from thirteen thousand in the Dow Jones down to like six thousand six hundred with the Dow Jones at the at the lowest point. So and that's really hard to watch. Yeah, it, it, you know I I've been through multiple of these instances where the stock market kind of dips and it's been crazy all over the place lately. It's really hard to watch your money go up and down like that. But if you're a young person and you can ride it out, it's all about the long, the long haul. It is. It is. And, and so the thing is, is like somebody that's deciding, OK, should I invest right now? Because like, you know, the coronavirus economy is like a shell, right? It's like, you know, really struggling. And it's like, is the stock market way overvalued? It definitely could be. And so what I tell people is like prioritize the basic smart things that are always the, the right decisions. So in other words, you need an emergency fund first if you don't have one. You know, sure. you, you need to set up those very small monthly contributions if you're not doing that. And then once you've got an emergency fund, 5% of your money going to retirement, 100 a month going into a, a different account for investing just generally, well, now your, your money can maybe go towards paying off your private loans, okay? Because maybe the stock market's on the high side. And then now maybe your money can go into paying off any other kind of troublesome debt that you have that you just want to get rid of or saving for a down payment for a house or whatever like other goals that you have. Uh, and then once you have no, nothing else left that you can think of that would be a smart place to put your money, yes, go put that into an overvalued stock market. Because the thing is, is in 30 years, I am very confident that the stock market will be trading at a much higher level than today. Sure. And so that's what matters about your finances long-term. So we have actually also like a course about this. Um, it's called six-figure debt to six-figure net worth. And it's kind of oh, like man. a it's kind of like a mindset shift for veterinarians that we love seeing happen. Like we help kind of change people's mindset with our consults. It's kind of like, yes, you have six figures in debt. Yes, maybe in a lot of cases, your net worth is negative six figures. But if your debt is actually a tax and not a debt because of you know some math that we can explain, then that means you don't actually have negative $300,000 of net worth. You have zero net worth. Right. You have zero net worth and you have a tax of a, you know, a 10% tax for the next 20 years. Well, that's kind of like living in California versus living in Texas. Right. And, uh, you know, people have not really, uh, you know, lost it over California taxes. There's still a lot of people living there that love the amazing weather. Right. So it's right. kind of, it's kind of like that for being a veterinarian. Like you're paying a higher tax rate, basically, to be a veterinarian with a quote unquote free education, even though it certainly doesn't feel like it's free. Right. You know, that's really what it is: is the government paid for your education in exchange for you paying higher income taxes, and so that's the equivalent of you paying a premium tax to live in California because the climate's better. You're paying a premium tax to be a veterinarian because it's so much better than working in an office environment and having a more secure job doing something that's a lot more enjoyable to you than, you know, just punching out a bunch of project reports for less money. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's the way we have to look at it. And I, and I think really taking charge is kind of what you're saying when you say you have this course. It's like really learning what money can do and what you should be doing with money rather than throwing your hands up and just, oh, I have 500000 in student loan debt. There's nothing I can do. And so therefore, I'm just going to you know, fold in upon myself and not really work towards trying to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely so much that you can do. It's such a misnomer to say that you there's not a lot you can do. That's so such a toxic uh, thing to even think. You know, yeah, because because there's and it's tough because you don't think that there's a lot you can do because, you know, 
it feels debilitating and, and you don't know all of the rules, right? I mean, it would be kind of like finding out that your dog has cancer, but you're not a veterinarian and you don't know all the rules and you don't know all the, all the solutions, right? right. And so, so you might feel hopeless, but then there actually is something that can be done, you sure. know, because you know, you know, the rules, you know, the, uh, the knowledge. And so that's kind of like why we like to only focus on student loans and, and student loan planning versus, you know, something kind of more broad based, like, you know, just overall financial planning. That's why we like, like to be just doing the student loan stuff is because, you know, we only do this uh, because I think if we only do this, we're going to do it the best uh, of anyone. And so that's, right. that's kind of the goal, right? Like if you're going to bring your racehorse to somebody, you want to bring it to a veterinarian that specializes in only working with racehorses, right? Right. Um, right. So it's kind of like that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, that know something about pseudo-loans, but the problem is that sometimes that advice can even be kind of harmful. Like a lot of like older financial people, they'll be like, oh, we'll pay your debt. You know, because that's what you always do is you pay off any right. debt that you, right. pay it you all know, off. paid all off. And it's like, okay, well, so you could live on uh, rice and beans for 10 years and not get married and not buy a house and not do any vacations anywhere. Uh, and oh, yeah, you'd be done with your debt. Oh, by the way, you'd be 40 years old with no net worth, <laughs> you know, and right. uh, and and no assets. And and so the, well, you know, that's just you really have not to balance true. it. I like your suggestion about getting your emergency fund and starting to invest even while you're paying off your debt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you gotta, a, you gotta do it all. Right. Right. Now let me ask you this and, and maybe you already answered this question and I just didn't get it because I'm not a financial planner. Um, you said that um, because of the cares act, people um, don't have to pay back the federal student loans right now. It's like zero interest, zero payments. Is that true? Yeah, for federal loans that are owned by the Department of Education, interest and payments are zero until September 30th. Okay, so if someone's in that situation, but they're still working and they're still making money, would you recommend that they take advantage of that zero payments or would you recommend that they keep paying it, especially yes, if they're not refinanced? So so yes, because you could simply put that money into the bank uh, and make more money than if you, you know, than if you uh, were putting it towards loans. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's my thought process on that is like, if you can literally, you can literally put like 10,000 towards your loans, you want to go towards loans, you can put that in the bank and earn 1% and already you're better off. And then at the end, when the interest expires, you can take that money and dump it on the loans at that point. Gotcha. So, okay. I mean, so, so that's so the short still, answer. You're saving it. You're not, you're not blowing it. You're saving it. But Correct. that way you don't, because you're not getting charged interest because you don't have to make a payment kind of wait. Exactly. There's no real reward. There's no real reward for being more aggressive than that. So why, you know, right. why, why be more aggressive basically? Right. Why do it? Okay. All right. So is there any, anything else you want to advise people of right now in this environment? Um, anything, anything different than you would have advised them before? Or have we gone through all that? I think we've gone through most everything. I think that the, the key okay. is just, just realize that this economy might last you know, for a while and it might not get better for a while. And, uh, and so take advantage of the fact that you are more secure than a lot of other people out there financially by doing all of the right long-term decisions. There's nothing, there's no hot stock that's going to solve your problems. There's no secret political program that if, if only this candidate wins, like everything about your finances will be fixed. So like none of that is, like there's no kind of magic bullet. It's it's all about right. long-term process, plan, plans, steps one through ten, completing each one of these ten steps. It's totally achievable. And just and just do that kind of thinking versus worrying about like, you know, stuff like that you can't have any control over that's not even right. gonna help anyway. And stay calm and just keep moving forward because the the small steps will eventually lead to your retirement. In, right at, at, at 50 and right. having a lot of money. Oh yeah. And, 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 you know, we have a lot of veterinarians on the pseudo loan planner podcast that, that I have. So, you know, if you're kind of looking for, for free stuff, that'd be the place to get the free stuff is the, uh, the pseudo loan planner podcast. And, and then, you know, the paid stuff, obviously people hire us to make customized plans for their situation. So that's, right. you know, so that's a few hundred bucks. Um, pseudoloanplanner.com, you'll see all the places to, to visit to, to read more about that if that's interesting to you. But, but the good news is, you know, there's a lot of resources out there in the veterinary community, right? There's us, there's the uh, the Venn network, 
Um, there are, you know, some people talking about student debt more and more. There's the uh, not another de- not another not another debt Facebook group that's uh, so helpful for mental health. Right. Um, so there's all these resources, right? So you can just literally let a lot of these resources into your life, where you can shut the door and not get help. And so I'm just really hopeful out there that people will get help, regardless of what stage they're at. Uh, and you know, if it's about student debt, I think that you know our, our Still on Planner podcast and the and the consulting service. Uh, one of those things would be really helpful for most people. Right, and you have a blog on your website that talks to veterinarians specifically. Certain blogs. Exactly. Yeah, we have a lot of. I mean, we've written probably dozens of articles about veterinarians. It's all for free. Uh, right. You know, so you just have to type in studentloanplanner.com, You know, studentloanplanner veterinarian, and you'll see all kinds of stuff um, that you can read. Probably way more than you want to. <laughs> Right. So the, the real message is from my podcast and yours that there's help there and and not to suffer in silence and not to, you know, not to think that this is a this is a bad decision that you made to become a veterinarian, that there's plenty of veterinarians out there that have lots of student loan that are living great lives and paying back and, and really saving for their retirement and and living their best life. I want to create a lot of rich veterinarians out there. So right. that's, 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 that's the goal. I mean, not, not because, you know, you know, you know, you need to be rich or anything. It's just, you know, once you have enough and you have a plan for your life overall, then, then all the financial anxiety goes away. And then it's just, you know, the, the other parts of anxiety that, that are caused that, that you can work on, you know, and, and it's just, it's really helpful to just have one less thing to worry about. Yeah. Money doesn't solve all your problems, but it does, it does cushion some of them. It, 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 does, turns, yeah. it turns some of the, the emergencies into just inconveniences. Exactly. Couldn't say it better myself. Have, if you have a plan. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been really great. And you bring great information to us always. I love it. And I'm, I'm very much a money person. I love talking about this stuff. So I, I enjoyed listening to you and all your advice. And I would encourage the listeners to reach out to Travis if you need help with your student loans. Thank you, Julie. Yeah. So have a great day. I I really appreciate you being here. And maybe we'll talk again next year. <laughs> yeah, when they pass a new plan. <laughs> yeah, it was about a year ago that we talked the last time. So, um, but thanks, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, have a great day. That was some great information from Travis Hornsby. I really enjoyed having him here on the podcast. I hope you all did too. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please go to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. That would really help me out, and I'd so appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments on the podcast, you can either leave them on iTunes or Spotify, or you can send me an email, jacapelldvm at gmail.com. If you need coaching or interested in talking about what it would look like to have a life coach, please contact me. You can go to my website and do so. It's juliecapel.com or veterinarylifecoach.com, or you can also send me an email. Thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate it, and I hope to talk to you next week. Have a beautiful week. Bye. Thank you.